So out of 15 Christmas Eve sermons, this is probably the most uncomfortable one I'm ever going to deliver. And the team approached me about three different times in about four different ways. And I just want to tell you how it really got started for me and my family. Uh, I was 14 years old, and a Speedway Indiana police officer invited my dad to a Campus Crusade for Christ Bible study in the neighborhood, and he said yes. And we were shocked. And within about five or six months of that Campus Crusade for Christ Bible study, the curriculum said, it's time to find a local church. And so my parents began church shopping. So my older sister, my younger brother, and I, we began church shopping. And that's highly overrated if you've ever done it before. And we finally found about the fourth church, this church kind of like Harborside, a non-denominational independent Christian church. And it was cool. Music was great. Preachers, youth pastors, it was hip. And it was just kind of a fun place to be. And, and so we, we started going there. Within about three months, I came home from basketball practice my freshman year, and the preacher's in our living room. Now, there have been no preachers in that house ever, and it was shocking to see him in the living room, and I'm going through to go get a shower because I've been sweating, and so I hear the preacher say these words to my dad, if you accept Jesus, you get to go to heaven. If you don't accept Jesus, you go to hell. And I thought, oh, this is going to be fun. Dad's going to tell him to go straight to hell, and I... I, I wasn't going to miss that, so I, I camped out, and I sat down in the living room. And when the gospel was shared, it was quite shocking because my dad got very humble, and he said, okay. My dad said yes to the gospel presentation in our living room. The preacher then turned the tables on me and said, what about you, young man? I said, no. Aren't you glad I'm your preacher? And I said, I'm not ready for that. It was a Tuesday night. And all week long, the Holy Spirit just kept working on me and working on me. And Sunday morning, when it was time for the altar call, my dad looked at me and he said, I'm going down. I said, I'm going with you. And so we went together and dad was baptized first. I can still see that. And I was right behind him. He's dripping wet. I come up out of the baptistry with my dad. I, uh, I love sports, love sports then, love sports now. Watched football yesterday. The Colts have won eight out of the last nine, if anybody's interested. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just in awe of that, so I'm going to do radio and television. I'm going to Purdue, got it all figured out. And I just started doing play-by-play in different radio stations for the football and high school football. Just loved it. And so I'm, I'm all signed up, years over, ready to go to school, and it's a Sunday night church service, and the preacher gave an altar call for who wants to go into full-time Christian service. Well, I don't want to go into full-time Christian service. I'm 18 years old. I want to be famous and rich. Who wants to go into full-time Christian service at age 18? And I knew that the Holy Spirit had pushed me, and I got down to that aisle, down to the front down here, and I knew, I knew. I knew that was what I was supposed to do at age 18 with my life. I go home, tell my parents, I'm not going to Purdue. What are you going to do? I'm going to become a preacher. What? And I remember the resistance then from an uncle, a great uncle, took me on a walk, and he said to me, I'm very disappointed with you. You should do something really significant with your life. This will be a complete waste. 
I did his funeral a few years later. <laughs> but I, I rolled into the Johnson University, and my freshman year went okay. Um, I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know there were two Josephs. I don't know who Abraham is. Abraham's a little Jewish boy we played basketball with down the street. I don't know there's an Abraham in the Old Testament. It's amazing. And I score in the bottom 14th percentile of all people who've taken a placement test on their Bible knowledge the second day of college. I said yes, but oh God, what did I say yes to? I'm 19. It's now spring break. And my youth pastor asked me if I would come home for spring break and teach on a Sunday night, preach a sermon to about 400 people that came on Sunday night services. I didn't have a clue how to preach. I'd never written a sermon, much less delivered a sermon. And there I am on that Sunday night, 400 people in the audience, and I, I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll preach on the cross. How can you mess up the cross? The cross is a staple of the Christian faith. And so I'm doing research on the cross, and I, I look up this word, and it talks about the cross is the crux of the matter. And I thought, that's a really big word. They'll think I'm educated and smart, and that's my freshman year, and I've got to say something. The home church is counting on me. And I got to that point in the message where I should have said the cross is the crux of the matter. But on TV at that time, they were running all these jock itch commercials named Crux. <laughs> and I said, the cross, the wonderful cross, it's the Crux of the matter. <laughs> and I brought the house down. And the next day, my youth pastor comes over with a little can of jock itch powder, <laughs> put it on my front porch, and Gary Black loves to tell that story to this day. I'm now 20, and a man named Jim Price preaches in two little churches in Crab Orchard in Crossville, Tennessee. And you got to understand, these are small churches. These are churches of 50 at the most on a Sunday morning and about 12 on a Sunday night. So some of these guys would have two different churches. And so he said, I'm going to be gone for a week. Can you come to Crossville at this time and then go to Crab Orchard at this time? And then Sunday night, go to Crossville and go back to Crab Orchard. But you got to bring a piano player. I said, all right, sure, I'll do it. This would be like my second sermon, but I get four, four in at once on one day. And so I, I was getting to know this young girl, the name Danita Ray. She was 17 years old. Her brother and I played college basketball and college soccer, so she would come to the soccer and the basketball game. That's how I got to know her. I knew she played the piano well, so I asked her to go with me. She said, sure. And so we do the services Sunday morning, both churches, Sunday night, both churches, and we're driving back to Knoxville. I'm 20. She's 17. And she says, ah, I got a question. I thought it was like, you know, how did you get to be so good with such lack of experience? And, you know, how did you get to be so skilled at, this, at such an early age? And she said, I, I got a question for you. She said, when you're preaching, she said, why are you yelling? <laughs> I, I'm looking ahead, Highway 40, headlights. I'm driving back to Knoxville. It's an hour drive. We're 10 minutes into the drive. And I said, what do you, what do you mean? She said, well, when you're preaching, like, like you're yelling like for 30 minutes. And I said, well, I, I don't know. I, I, I saw it on TV. <laughs> and she said, did you ever think about just talking to the people? That thought had never occurred to me. So you can see that I said yes, but I had a long ways to go, which is some of you in the room. It's not how far you have to go, it's where you start. And God never calls the qualified, God always qualifies the called. 
So we're married now, and I need a little more education. You already figured that out. So I go to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. It's a three-year program. And while I'm there, the first week, I get a call from that same pastor that baptized my dad and I. And he said, there's a church 104 miles away in Oakland City, Indiana, that just needs somebody to fill in for three weeks. They've had a church split, major church split. They only have 23 people, which he's basically saying, how can you mess this up? And so there's 23 people. Would you fill in for three weeks? And for three years, Danita and I drove 104 miles to Oakland City, Indiana. Three years. And I look back on that. And that was the Heavenly Father giving me opportunities to teach and to preach and to communicate and to learn how to do something for Him. I then get my first gig, my first real job. I tried to become a pastor, a senior pastor at age 26. Nobody would hire me. Can you imagine that? What were those wise elders thinking? He's way too young, and they would have been 100% right. So I got my first full-time job, and it's a minister of education, and I just loved it. I was like, you know, the discipleship guy, and, and I was in charge of recruiting people and training people and teacher training, and it was so much fun. The only problem was I was the other full-time staff person. There was a senior pastor. There was a secretary. There was a part-time music guy that would come and go. He was at the local high school. But I was now the the next full-time person. And the minister and the secretary were having an affair. And the entire time I'm there, they're squeezing me out. We got a whole new phone system. I know for those of you that are, you know, young people, uh, some of us were there when the earth's crust was cooling and there were not cell phones, okay? <laughs> so this was like GTE and GTE. Had the phone. We got phone. I, the pastor wouldn't give me a phone. I had to go to the kitchen. He was squeezing me out every chance he'd get. And I went and I confronted her. And I said, you know, are you having an affair? And, and I thought, you know what? If she is, she's going to tell him this, right? I never lacked for courage. It was brains might have been a different matter. So I go to him, and I confront him, and I'm 26, 27 years old, and, and, and I, I was miserable, absolutely miserable. I said yes. I didn't go to Purdue. I didn't pursue my dreams of radio and television as a broadcaster. I said yes, but God, this is awful. These people don't like me. I think they're having an affair. He's trying to squeeze me out, and we are really poor, and we don't even have kids, How in the world are we ever going to make it in the future? At that time, a great uncle dangled a great carrot in front of me. He had this booming business, like ingredient resources, and they sold ingredient resources to farmers all over America, and he was looking for salesmen. And I had a three-hour interview with him because I'm thinking, I'm done. I'm checking out of the ministry. I'm done with this. This is how people in church act. This is how a pastor and a secretary, and the irony is the chairman of the elders was the secretary's husband. So I'm like up a creek without a paddle in this deal. And so my great uncle then after several hours calls and says, "Um, we want to give you a job. And the money, just the salary was twice my salary plus commissions. And I knew I could crush it with commissions because I was hungry. And a car and benefits. And so I tell Danita the whole story. And she's that woman that at age 17 asked that really hard question. And now we're 27 and 24. And she said, are you sure? Are you sure God's in this? Danita, we're poor. 
I, I know. I, I'm miserable. I, I know. This team doesn't want me. This church doesn't want me to be a part of it. I, I, I know. But what does God want you to do? I'm like, oh, woman, would you ask a different question? <laughs> and so we said yes to God. Can't see it. Don't know, understand it. Don't get it. Don't really know what's going to happen. And you see, my friends, that's the point of the Christmas story. Everyone in the Christmas story has this incredible opportunity to say yes. And he invites you into the Christmas story. And the Christmas story is never about your story. You're writing paragraphs and chapters in his story. Now, you're going to write a story. Everybody in the room is writing a story. And you will write a story either within the will of God or outside the will of God. But everyone in the Christmas story had an opportunity to say yes. That's your story today. He's inviting you. He's inviting all of us to say yes to his story. Doesn't matter how confusing it is. Doesn't matter how challenging it is. Doesn't matter how difficult it is. Doesn't matter the cloud that's over. His story is always, will you follow me? And will you say yes to me? So at 28... Tanina and I moved to Memphis, Tennessee, and I was a senior pastor there in Memphis, Tennessee for 16 years, and we thought we'd be there forever, and it was awesome. It was really amazing. We went from one service to two, from two services to three, from one Sunday school to two, to two to three, small acreage, and we're just parking all over the streets and ticking off all the neighbors. We buy a piece of property. We have capital campaigns. We relocate 5.6 miles. We build a beautiful building. The most difficult part of the whole process was not raising millions of dollars and not moving. The most difficult part was changing the name, the emotions that were wrapped up in the name of a community church were just enormous. And so we're going to be there forever. And year 14, I am in Louisville, Kentucky from, from Memphis at a Southeast Christian church, and I'm teaching a church growth seminar at this huge church. And I talked through, through lunch, and so Danita and I are going to, like, it's like a Kroger's, I think, and a grocery store, and we're trying to grab some food. And Danita said to me, God spoke to me today. I said, I wasn't being flippant, but I was like hungry and in a hurry, and we had to eat and get back to the three o'clock session because I was teaching the third time that day. And I said, What did God say? <laughs> you know, I'm hungry. Don't don't mess with me when I'm hungry, all right? I'll give you anything when I'm full, but just don't ask me when I'm hungry. And she said, He said we were moving. I said, What? Yeah. Well, where did God say we're going to go? And he didn't, he didn't say. Well, what did you say? She said, I, I said, yes. I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. I said, yes, she said. So we go through then the next two years process where our heart for these wonderful people in this great church, this church where we had poured our lives into, all three of our kids were born in Memphis, Tennessee. And all of a sudden, it's like the valve, a shut-off valve, and God just began to kind of close our hearts to that particular church and that situation. And an opportunity came for us to come to, to this little church in Safety Harbor, Florida. 
I never even heard of this church. But it was during that process where the elders in the Memphis church said to me, we, we want to give, we, you know, if you, if you think you're supposed to go, we, we, we trust you. But we'd like to give you a six-month sabbatical so you can really think this through. And I said, okay, six-month sabbatical? What am I going to do for six months? I'm going to crystallize in three days. And so it was three weeks into the six-month sabbatical, I told the elders that I'm Memphis. I really appreciate it. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I can't explain it. Doesn't make any sense. But we're supposed to go to Safety Harbor, Florida. And so we come here to Safety Harbor, Florida. And the senior pastor here gets dismissed under some unsavory conditions. And if we were an airplane, we would go into a deep dive. And all of a sudden, as a church, now I'm the senior pastor. We're just moved into this facility, and our church is losing members, we're house poor, and we're in the red every year for the next three years. And I thought I knew how to pray, but it was during that time when Danita and I, we didn't just offer up a few prayers here and there, we're on our hands and our knees with our elbows across the bed every single night. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? This, this plane's going to crash into a mountain. This plane's going down. And for three years in a row, we, we lost 800 people in three years. I'm the only senior pastor you'll ever meet who's still at the same church after losing 800 people. <laughs> I'm serious. It's unbelievable. And the next two years... We didn't start climbing, but we just kind of started to, to, to level out. And during the midst of that, that dive, I can remember saying to God, are you sure about this? And God just kept saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? And one time I told God, I'd rather sell beer and cigarettes at the Circle K than be a senior pastor. He didn't think that was very funny. And there was silence for a couple of days after that comment from God. And so we began to see that this life and this story wasn't about us. We began to realize that it wasn't our will. It wasn't what we thought. It wasn't what we were trying to do. It wasn't what we were trying to accomplish. It was always getting in on what God was doing. So I remember about five years ago, I distinctly heard the voice of God to say to build a wedding chapel. Build a wedding chapel. And let this chapel do as many unchurched weddings as you can possibly do. And every couple equip them with the gospel. And every couple equip them with marriage skills and have marriage mentors. And our elders just bought into that hook, line, and sinker. And today we're just doing hundreds of weddings and changing and challenging, the, changing the trajectory of marriage, hopefully in this state, in this country. Because you know why? It's the family. When the family's strong, when the family's healthy, everything falls in place. And when that marriage unit is not healthy and not strong, there's domestic violence, there's poverty, there's everything. So the Christmas story is your story. 
And the Christmas story is God asking you and inviting you to come into the story. Have you ever noticed how everyone in the story has an opportunity to say yes or to say no? Zechariah, you're going to be an older man, and as an older man, you're going to have a son. You can't even name him Zechariah. You need to name him John. He says, okay. Elizabeth, you're going to be an older woman, and in your older age, you're going to bear a son, and he's going to become the forerunner of the Messiah. And she says, okay. Mary, I know you've not thought about this. This isn't how you wanted to have your, your wedding. This isn't how you planned your life. But Mary, you're the chosen one. You're going to be the one that's blessed. And your life will never be the same. And Mary says, may it be unto me as the Lord has called me. Joseph, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I know you're kings. I know you're 1,500 miles away. I know you see this star. But I'm asking you to come follow this star all the way to where the Christ child will be born. Shepherds, it's your livelihood. But leave your sheep Go into Bethlehem and see this great thing that has happened. And everybody, everyone in the Christmas story was invited to be a part of this amazing story. And so are you, and so am I. So how does this story unfold? Well, with Zechariah, it says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He put his faith, and he said, Yes. What did Elizabeth say? When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is the one who's believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. What happened here to Mary? Mary, will you say yes? Will you say, yes, Mary, I am the Lord's servant? Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. How about you, Joseph? But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And the wise men, the wise men said, yes, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. And I love the shepherds. When the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go and see this Bethlehem and see this great thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. Maybe you don't think you're in the story. You're in the story. Everybody's in the story. And everybody has a chance to write holy history in the story. Now, everybody has a different lane. Everybody in that story has a different lane. You have a different lane than I do, and I have a different lane than you do. But every one of us has a lane. The most amazing thing about the story is when God shows up in your life and in my life, there's usually drama. Angels, stars, maybe, just something spectacular. And you know this, and you feel this. Every time in your life when God has shown up to you and he's asked you to say yes, there's been something pretty cool and something very dramatic that's taken place. I, I want to connect you to a verse that we don't usually connect at Christmas time, but so far this is a very unconventional Christmas Eve message, so why wouldn't we have an unconventional scripture verse, right? 
Hebrews chapter 10, I think it's a Christmas verse. I've never heard this tied in at Christmas time. I think it's such a Christmas scripture. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in your scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. I've come to do your will. What is Jesus saying? He says, Here I am. Isn't that Christmas? Here I am. I'm here to be your Savior. I'm here to be your guide. I'm here to be your deliverer. I'm here to be your friend. Here I am. I am here for you. And the times in my life when I've said no are my greatest regrets. And the times in my life when I've said yes, they've been the greatest joys and victories I can ever imagine. And he's asking you to be in the story. And all he wants you to do is say yes, say yes, say yes. And when you say yes, here I am. Here I am. I am here for you. Friday, uh, Danita and I and our son Ethan, Ethan has a connection at the Hope Children's Home in uh, Tampa. and We'd never been there before. And so we go to the Hope's Children's Home and tour it for a couple of hours. Great children's home. And while we're there, I see this board just a dry erase board. It's got on there milk and eggs and, you know, Krispy Kreme donuts. And it's got on there, you know, steak and hamburger and chicken. It's just, just boards in these different dorm houses. And I said, tell me about the board. And the director said, oh, that's, that's our prayer board. I said, cool. I said, so how does this work? I mean, you buy food, you get donuts. He said, no, 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 we, we don't buy any food. We don't buy anything. It's all donations. I said, how many kids do you have? He said, 79. How many staff people do you have? A whole bunch. And I said, okay, so you don't buy anything. It all just comes to you? He said, yeah, we just pray. And all the kids pray. Every night the kids are praying. Every night the kids are all in on this thing. And I said, well, have you got a story for me? He said, yeah. He said, I, I heard you're a fisherman. And he said, I, I, got a, I got a kind of a cool story. Levi is 10 years old, and his house dorm ran out of bread. And I guess Levi is a breadaholic, you know. You can't take him away. He'd eat all the bread. He just loves the bread. And so that night, Levi is praying for bread. And then Levi amended his prayer. He said, I don't just want bread, Lord. I want a boatload of bread. 10-year-old, bold prayer. So the next morning, a guy who goes by the grocery stores occasionally to help get some of the food for them was, didn't get any inside, but he went around the back, was driving home, and he saw them getting rid of the day-old bread, and the bread was going to the dumpster, and they couldn't sell it. And so he stopped, and he said, hey, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, what are you doing with all the bread? They said, we've we got to get rid of it. He said, well, I'll take it to the children's home. And they said, well, you got to do it now because we don't have room for all this and the truck's almost here. And he said, okay. So he, he drives home and all he can get, his truck's completely full, can't get any bread inside the truck. All he can do is go home and loads his boat on the trailer, gets the boat onto the truck, drives the truck with the boat on the trailer to the grocery store, 
and these folks at the grocery store, I won't mention the grocery store, they're loading the entire boat full of bread. They get to the little dorm where Levi's staying, and the director says, oh, wait a minute, don't unload this, hold on a minute, hold on a minute, we're going to see a little boy's faith come alive right now. And they went and got Levi, and Levi was like, I told you it was going to happen. Levi had faith to move mountains. He said, Jesus said, here I am. I, I don't know what your needs are today. I don't know what your fears are today. I don't know what your challenges and opportunities are today. But you're in this story. Everybody's in the story. If you're poor, you're in the story. If you're rich, you're in the story. If you're educated, you're in the story. If you're uneducated, you're in the story. Everybody's in this story. The shepherds were poor. The kings were rich. Everybody's in this story. And you can be in this story forever and forever and forever. And so this amazing story is asking you just to trust me. Here I am. Here I am. Do you know what happened in this story? Do you know the only person who said no in the Christmas story was Herod. It was Herod. We name our children Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we name our dogs Herod. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Herod said no. I've said no. Greatest regrets of my life. And I don't plan on saying no anymore, any way, any shape. And so you're, you're invited to be a part of this great story. And so we're going to pass out communion right now and take the loaf and the cup. It's in a, two cups. Uh, and just, just take one of them and the bottom of it's a cracker and the top of it's the juice. But if you would, just, just think about saying yes. I, I want to say yes as my Savior, my Lord. I want to say yes to the lane that you've called me to run. And I want to say yes forever. I've said no. And maybe that's where you start with communion this morning, today. Maybe you start with communion by saying, I've said no to you. Please forgive me for saying no to you. But I'm here today, right here, right now, to say yes. I say yes. I say yes.